This is No Training Wheels, and I'm your host, Rob Kelly. One thing that makes our Criterium Nation special is the people who make it up. It's a group of hardworking, nose-to-the-grindstone folks who put in the effort in the days and weeks outside of the races. However, we are all typically way too busy to take time to sit back and look at all the hard work we collectively do just to get physically and mentally prepared for our races. However, in the last couple of months, we've been forced to step back and take stock of that time and effort because there simply is no in-real-life racing happening. This forced time to think has gotten a lot of us to become a little bit more introspective. In today's episode, Flamingo Racer, we explore the deeper questions with one of the queens of the criterium, Madison Kelly, of CWA Racing, presented by Trek. We tell this story in three chapters. The first one is, tell me more. Inspired by our friends from the gravel lot, we ask Madison about those early memories of bike racing and what continues to inspire her to new heights today. But before we get to our interview, I want to introduce you to another show here on the Wide Angle Podium, The Consummate Athlete. What does it mean to be a consummate athlete? Basically, being the James Bond of athletes. For more, here are the hosts of the show. Hey, Wide Angle Podium friends. Join me, longtime cyclocross writer Molly Herford. And me, endurance coach Peter Glassford, on the Consummate Athlete Podcast. You'll learn about how the pros like Katarina Nash, Ellen Noble, and Magalie Rochette train. And hear the best advice from experts in exercise science, nutrition, and sports psych to crush your racing goals. We discuss topics like how to run for cyclocross training. If strength training will improve your cycling. How NASCAR can teach you how to corner smoother. And how to fuel for a long day at the races. Come hang out and learn how to live a happy, adventurous life. Subscribe to the Consummate Athlete Podcast and visit us online at consummateathlete.com. And now on to our story with Madison Kelly. Hi, my name is Madison Kelly. I race for CWA Racing Powered by Trek, and I'm from Naples, Florida, and I currently live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So, Madison, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you, or one of the things that I really wanted to start talking with you about was a topic that was brought up by a friend of mine on another podcast. There's another podcast on the network, the Wide Angle Podium, called The Gravel Lot. And it's a couple of guys, one's a Michigan guy, one is not, who are very introspective lately and talking about how they love and appreciate the sport that we all do. And they wanted to ask everybody generally why it is that you love bike racing, why it is that you love doing the sport of bikes. And, you know, if anybody follows you on social media, they know that you love the outdoors, you love your mountain bike, you love your road bike, you love all of it. But I wanted to pose their question to you just with a small refinement. So I want you to go back and remember the first legit training ride that you went on. Do you, do you remember that first ride? Oh, definitely. I got dropped. <laughs> As do almost all of us. So, so <laughs> what was that ride like for you? So that ride occurred shortly after I decided to start cycling. That decision happened about midway between junior and senior year of college. So during the summertime, I was always an avid equestrian my whole life. 
and I was always competing. I competed in dressage, um, hunters and jumpers. Jumpers was by far my favorite. It's, it's kind of similar to bike racing in that it's timed and there's a lot of adrenaline for that two minutes that you are going on the obstacle course that you only had like maybe an hour to memorize beforehand. And so I was kind of used to that anxiety. I, I kind of like a little bit of stress, you know, before your event. Since I went to college, I had to stop horseback riding because that wasn't really conducive to going to college. Like you can't really bring your horse with you. <laughs> there was kind of like a void left there after I stopped competing because I had been competing since I was five years old in some sport. I, I dabbled a bit in um, short distance running as well. So that was something that was always a part of my life. And when I was home during the summertime, I just kept seeing my parents coming home at about pretty early, like at 9am. And they were always like super sweaty from their group ride. And they were just super excited. It was like hearing a, a new story each day. And they just sounded like they were having a lot of fun. So then I finally, finally was like, okay, mom, you know, I want to try this with you guys. And my parents looked super fit too, since they had started cycling years before that. And I was kind of just looking for a new way to stay fit besides going to the gym. My mom was pre pretty ecstatic. You know, she didn't want me, she didn't want to force me, but I, I had a feeling she really wanted me to try it out, you know, so that we could, cause she used to be an equestrian too. That's something we used to do together when I was growing up as a kid. So she gave me her old felt that was a size too big for me. She gave me some kits. I looked way more pro than I was at the time. So she suited me up and I spent the first week riding just with her because she wanted to make sure that I knew the rules of the road and I knew how to handle my bike and I wasn't going to cause any dangerous situations eventually when I started joining the local group rides, which are very well organized and controlled there. Um, a lot more so than in other places, which I've come to learn. Talk to us about your mom, Tish. She is been foundational and instrumental for you and for your team. I actually first came to know her before I met you. I met her at Intelligentsia one day this summer. She has really been a driving force behind you and about the organization that you represent. Oh, yeah. She is the sole like creator of the team. Obviously, I helped, um, and there were other people that were pretty uh, important and instrumental in keeping the team together and running, but it, without Tish, it wouldn't exist at all. And it's been a, it's been a privilege to be able to race with my mom because she used to race in the cat threes when I first started racing. And that's just a really unique experience that a lot of people don't really get to have, you know, like a mother, daughter, or father, son, or, or whatever, parent, child competing together in the same sport is pretty unique. And so I'm always thankful that I got to experience that. When did it become clear to you that bike racing was your thing? So surfing, horseback riding, running, all of these things are hobbies of yours. But you have this passion for bike racing. When did it become clear that that was your thing? That was after my first race weekend as a cat four. So when I started racing, uh, my mom made sure that I had tons of group riding experience under my belt, probably more than most people when they start bike racing. Cause number one thing for her was safety. Obviously being my mom, she knew about my competitive spirit and my desire to 
be the best that I can be in whatever athletics I try. I had a lot of time to pursue this based on where I was in life. I was in college. All I did was study and work out basically um, because that's just always been kind of part of my life is just academics and, and having fun. And that's why I like doing athletics that generally involve the outdoors because I find them the most fun. And I like being out in nature. You know, everybody finds nature, you know, exciting and soothing at the same time. So, but basically my first race weekend in Florida, uh, I was at cat four. So the women's category, the lowest category was cat four at the time. The group size was pretty small, you know, it was like max 30 women and all categories together. And it, it was very apparent who was cat one versus who was a cat three or four. And it was just so much fun. But because I had had so much group riding experience, my mom made sure of that before I started the race. I was very comfortable and it just felt very natural. It felt like one of those group rides because by then I was hanging on the A rides with the, with the men. So I was pretty fit and I was as prepared as I think I could have been at that stage. And so I really enjoyed it. The only difference between that and the the group rides I was doing back home was there was a finish line that actually mattered. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just like sprint to the stop sign. It was, and it was all women, which was so cool to me because you know how cycling is very male dominated. And I had pretty much been riding with all men, maybe one or two women in the peloton. And it was just so cool and new and exciting for me to race with all these women. And in my first race, which was a road race, which actually ended up having more elevation than I thought Florida could. It was in North Florida, like near Clearwater. So there were some rolling hills and stuff. I think it got like a thousand feet, which is pretty decent. <laughs> I ended up getting third. In your first race as a cat four against women who are ones and twos. Right. But I, I think I finished, let's see, I can't remember so long ago. I finished third in the cat three fours. They combined them. And I think like fourth or fifth overall. Um, and then the next day I won the cat three fours. And I think I also like won overall. So that's, and the, the next day was a crit. It was more like a circuit race, but they labeled it as a crit. And so the second day I, I felt like, oh, this is really fun. I really like the shorter, faster stuff because that just kind of fit the way I like to compete. It reminded me of those those times when I would um, compete in jumpers, you know, that anxiety and you're just going all out for two minutes. You know, this is more like an hour, but still it's, you're on the whole time. Whereas in a, in a road race, you, you have like a lot more time to think about stuff, you know, and it's just a different dynamic. So I felt like, oh, this, this is really cool. And obviously I did better in the shorter race too. So after that, I thought, oh, this is something that I really enjoy. I want to keep doing it. And I just, based on the fact that I thought it was so fun and it kept me so fit and it was so motivating to keep training for because it was so fun, I just, just by design, I just started getting faster. Have you ever fallen out of love with the sport? Have you ever fallen out of love with any sport? Yeah, but those I've, I've dabbled in lots of different sports and there's always that like honeymoon phase, you know, when you first start a sport and you're doing pretty well for the amount of experience you have, you know, and you enjoy it. 
But then it just comes to a point where it's just too much of a hassle to get to where you need to go to train for it, or it just doesn't fit into your lifestyle or it's too time consuming. Um, I tried golf when I was a kid and I really liked it for about a week. And then I was just like, I don't want to drive to the golf course anymore. And this is coming from somebody that lives in Florida where there's golf courses everywhere. But I just, I didn't like how much prep you had to do in order to just play, you know, whereas the prep in cycling and in horseback riding in itself is kind of fun. Like I like taking care of my gear and working on my bike and cleaning it and, you know, switching out wheels and, you know, just working with it. It's kind of like your little project or same with like a horse. I like brushing my horse and tacking them up and riding and then like, you know, bathing that it's, it's fun. It's like a bonding thing. Obviously you bond more with an animal than with an inanimate object like a bike, but it's just, it's just the prep is a lot more fun. And like the, the stuff outside of doing the actual sport because a lot of the sport is done behind the scenes, right? You know, you only ride for an hour, but you train for so many other, like so many more hours than you actually race. And there's so much other stuff that goes into being prepared to race gear wise and everything. And just some sports is, it just didn't feel like that worth it for me. How do you make sure when it comes down to bikes that you keep a positive focus, a positive attitude about it, that you avoid the burnout? Um, sometimes it's hard to keep a positive attitude, especially when you're stuck inside on a trainer for an entire winter. Um, I think the most important thing, not only for me, but just in general for anybody uh, is to recognize the early signs of burnout. If I start to dread training, then I think it's actually more worth it maybe to take the day off when you maybe weren't scheduled to instead of just having a really crappy training session three days in a row, you know, and then you end up just not wanting to train at all for a week. And I think giving yourself a little break and also a little reward for maybe training when you when you don't really feel like it, but you really should is important too, especially when you're Zwifting. Like I did a Zwift race the other day and it was just awful. Like it was the worst experience. <laughs> it was so bad. And like a bunch of my friends were in it too. And we were all like texting each other like, Oh, this sucks. Like this is way too hard. How are those people so far ahead? You know, we were just like kind of goofing around and it was a really negative experience at first, but then it turned into a positive experience because we all got together and just like had our own ride, you know, and we were just laughing about how much it sucked and it, it ended up becoming pretty hilarious. But I think the important thing is to recognize when you're starting to feel a little burnout and then kind of get creative and find new ways to make it fun. Whether it's trying something new like a Zwift race, um, meeting up with your friends on, on Zwift or your teammates. And honestly, like, as long as you have the proper equipment and you have your lights all charged, riding in the rain can actually be really fun. We've arrived at chapter two of today's episode, royalty. We all love racing. Some of us love racing a little bit more frequently than others. 
And within that cadre, there are the queens of the criteria. The women you'll almost certainly find at any crit series. Madison definitely falls into that category, racing 45 times in 2018 and 38 times in 2019 in some no-slouch races, mostly the highly competitive Midwest crit series like Toad or Intelligentsia. We dive into why these type of races draw her in and how she defines success, which doesn't always mean standing on the podium. You are, and this is a phrase that I'm going to dub you uh, as something so you don't have any choice here. You are one of the queens of the criterium. Really? I didn't. I didn't know that. L- l- listen to the statistic here. Since 2015, you've raced more than 200 times. And of those 200 races, the vast majority have been criteriums. What is it about that type of racing that drives you to it? Honestly, I just think uh, criterium racing is so much fun for a few reasons. You know, on average, it lasts about an hour. Some of them are shorter, some of them are longer, but it's an hour. And so an hour is plenty of time for you, for a lot of different, a lot of stuff to happen in the race, right? You know, breakaways, getting caught, um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes there's crashes, you know, chasing, all kinds of drama that happens in every criterion, but it's short enough that it keeps your attention span the whole time, right? Because you have to be on the whole time and it rarely ever gets slow. So, and I kind of, I like that. I like the, that intensity because that's something that I grew up with in, in competition. You know, I did short distance running. I did, um, I competed in, in jumping. So I, I'm used to that, that shorter distance, more intense racing and so the the question was like what i like about criterion racing right what what draws you to it and why don't you let me add another thing to it you seem to love crit series toad intelligentsia gateway speed week as opposed to like a standalone single day race is there something about the crit series that really draws your attention yeah, I mean, because a lot of times the crit series have omniums. Uh, there's another added layer to the competition, right? When you have an omnium, you're not just playing checkers anymore. You're playing chess, which is kind of unique because in crits, it's just go, go, go. There's, you know, obviously tactics involved, but it's it's basically whoever crosses the line first wins, right? But usually the the rewards for the Omnium is better or more than just winning an individual race. And this is when a team can really shine, right? Because it's not just about getting one of your teammates across the, the, the line first anymore. It's about getting the right teammate across the line first multiple times or you don't even have to be first. It could be second or third or fifth or whatever. You have to play the numbers. And it's it's a lot more involved, you know, because now you're not, once the first couple of races in a series are over and you're going for an omnium, it's not just about winning. It's about making sure you come ahead of specific people who are also close to you in points. And it just adds that extra level to the competition 
and it makes you have to think a little bit more and use your use your brain and have more specific tactics towards specific competition. You have to know your competition. And so I just think it makes the crit racing a little bit more involved and a little tougher. One of the things that I've noticed a little bit in moving around through the men's peloton is that there's definitely regional differences between riding in New York, for example, at the Harlem Skyscraper Classic, as compared to maybe doing something out in California like the Tour of Murrieta. In the women's field, do you find there to be regional differences between the Midwest, the South, the West Coast, East Coast? Or is it that there's not that big enough of a pool that you keep running into the same women all over the place? As far as racing goes, I think that there's not that big of a difference regionally because the women's pool is smaller and I I pretty much run into a lot of the same people at all the races. Now, I I haven't raced in California and in those western states, so I couldn't speak for the western races, but definitely in the Midwest versus the East Coast, I kind of run into the same women, so there I don't see that much of a change. As far as group riding, there is definitely a change regionally. I would definitely notice a difference. The women in the in the Midwest are, I would say, more accustomed to smaller groups, but also riding longer. Whereas in Florida, the group rides are, are very large, but it's almost like a criterium. Those group rides are always so fast, but also well-organized and early in the morning because it gets so hot later in the day. So they tend to be shorter. Not all of them, obviously. I'm not speaking for everyone, just from my personal experience group riding and the in the few different places that I've lived. But I like the change of, of culture between the different uh, cycling communities that I travel between. So let's go back to crit series or individual races, whatever you want. What defines for you success in a race. Obviously, you can't win every single race that you enter. Certainly, there are women who try. You have some incredible results, podiums, and then you've got 30th and 40th place finishes as well. So clearly, you are all over the map when it comes down to your you know, objective standard of success, if that is winning a race. But subjectively speaking, what is it to you that defines a success in a race? Cycling is, is unique in that it's a team sport, but it has one winner. No matter how hard your teammates worked to get you across the finish line first and give you the best chance of winning that sprint, they aren't all standing up on the podium with you on that top step, right? It comes down to having only one winner. But there are so many other people involved in that equation to get those people on those top three or top five steps. The appearance of the podium takes away from how important teams are to the sport. A sign of success is a team remaining in cycling for multiple years in a row and having a relatively similar roster you know, there's some things you can't control, obviously, but I think it's a huge, it's a sign of huge success when a team sticks around for so long within the sport, because unfortunately cycling, I've noticed in my six years, which is a pretty short time, but I've noticed that being a part of this sport, there's a lot of team turnover and a sponsor turnover. I think that success 
is being able to keep people's attention and keep sponsors sponsoring your team and sponsoring the sport because without teams and without sponsors, the sport really wouldn't exist. It's a lot of focus on the individual with the end result, but everything else that got that individual there is so important and deserves more credit and recognition. And I think that with the amount of emerging technology and live streaming and drones and social media and everything, riders are better equipped now more than ever to give back to sponsors. It's not all about winning the race. It's more about keeping the sport you love alive by showing people how awesome it is through technology, through social media, and showing your sponsors love, keeping them invested. So you have seized on one of the things that has obsessed me as a bike racer and as a podcaster for the last several months. Going back to the interview that I had with Steve Cullen a few months ago, interviews that I've had with Scott Morris from USA Crits, we've talked about this recurring theme of bike racing, especially road racing and criterium racing, being so individually dynamic, yet absolutely fundamentally team-based. You have your standout stars. You can name women and you can name men who routinely find themselves on the top of the podium. But the reason they do is because they've got a cast of characters who are there behind them, pushing them through that, that gauntlet towards the end of the sprint, towards the breakaway, whatever it happens to be. Why do you think it is that we have a trouble selling that team part of road racing to the general community because all of us just think of privateers, individual, you know, heroes. Think about it. If you don't know anything about cycling and you come to this criterium that's happening in your town and you watch it, you have no idea what you're looking at, right? That's like when my boyfriend took me to my first football game and I knew nothing about football, I just watched a bunch of huge guys run around and tackle each other. I didn't know the rules and I didn't really know what was going on except the basics, right? It wasn't as interesting to me because I didn't really know what was going on. But once he taught me, you know, the rules and the basics of what was going on, then it was more exciting for me to watch, right? Because I, I could pick out individual players that I kind of liked and I liked how they played. And I, I knew the different positions of different people and people's different jobs on the football team, right? I think that's what road racing kind of needs is somebody to point out to the lay person that is kind of new to the sport or is just watching and point out like what all the moving parts are in the race. Because obviously you can tell who's on the same team because of the, they're all wearing the same kit. But you can't really tell just by looking what they're doing for each other and what they're doing as a team. And there's only so many different tactics involved in bike racing. So I don't think it would be too revealing to have like commentary on the bike races, not only on the live stream, which I think we do have. We do have commentary on the live stream, even at, at the races too. It's hard to tell because you know, the commentators can't see everything that's going on all the time. It's not like watching track or football or something that happens in a stadium where you can see everything all in one spot. That's why it's kind of more up to teams and racers as individuals to sort of expose all these little nuances and the tiny dramas that go on within 
the races to kind of show how how difficult it is to execute tactics as a team and how intricate team tactics can be. And I think that one of the ways we can do that is by putting live stream GoPros on their bikes. I think that would add an extra layer to showing the goings on within and also just doing a better job at giving teams credit when it's due and teammates and exposing the amount of effort that a team goes through to get certain riders across the finish line. Do you think that the criterion, that style of racing is the way forward for us in the United States, as opposed to trying to emulate more of a UCI road racing grand tour type Europe model? I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in road racing by any means. I can only tell you just from my experience of obviously doing mostly criteriums is that Americans have a shorter attention span when it comes to bikes and bike racing than Europeans. Road racing isn't a huge part of our culture like it is in Europe. So I think that criterium racing is a much better option to try to expose the American public to, to get people interested in bike racing. Because like I said, it, it's it's only an hour. It's super fast the whole time. And judging by the amount of, by the following that NASCAR has, you know, and their, their races are actually pretty long, like a couple of hours long. And so many people watch that. I know that we can hold Americans attention for an hour if we're going fast and stuff's happening. People like watching people going head to head and just giving it their all. People like watching crashes, which unfortunately happen, but most of the time aren't catastrophic like in a, in a road race. Criterium racing just fits the bill more of what Americans are looking for when they turn on TV to watch sports. There's a lot more happening in a shorter amount of time so that it's more entertaining to the lay person, especially here in America where everybody likes you know, extremes and fast and drama. This show is brought to you by the folks at Works. We all know about the HydraShot, the best solution for keeping your bike clean. But don't overlook the other great items available on their site, like their full line of lawn care equipment. Things are starting to turn green and grow, and it's the perfect opportunity to get outside and clean up your yard. And there's no better motivation to get moving than with new equipment. Check out their full line of mowers, head trimmers, weed whackers, and everything you need to keep your lawn looking good this summer. Go to yourcleanbike.com, use the promo code GEARUP, all one word, all caps, for 15% off. That's yourcleanbike.com and gear up for 15% off. And now chapter three. You can't spell team without cool-looking kits. Pulling together a U.S. crit racing team that features UCI pros, Olympians, and riders from three different continents is no small feat. Keeping those riders together year after year is even rarer. But CWA presented by Trek, led by Madison's mom, Tish Kelly, has done just that. The story behind how this team grew into its current form is like so many others. 
a little bit of good fortune, and a whole lot of hustle and work. So let's change gears a bit here and stop talking about Criterium Racing in general and talk about your team, about CWA Racing presented by Trek. This is a legit group of heavy hitters. You know, you have Olympians, national team members, women with extreme amounts of experience. How did all of you come together to form this organization? When I first started racing the Cat 4s and the Cat 3s with my mom, I was on a club team, Florida Velo. We just had such a blast that summer. And it was just me and my mom, and we traveled all over. We raced in uh, Tour of America's Dairyland, and you know that was my first exposure to series like that. It was just so fun because I loved racing every day for 11 days or however many races it was, and it was great. And so we were going around, and, and what I like about cycling and especially racing is the social aspect of it. It's like joining a huge club when you start cycling, right? You Suddenly you have something in common. That's, it, it becomes like a huge thing it's a huge part of your life and it's something you have in common with, you know, thousands of other people. Even if you have nothing else in common with these people, the fact that you all cycle and it just brings everyone together, you know, but as a result of meeting people at these races, my mom being the networker that she is, uh, started meeting people that were, that were interested in forming a new team, specifically a women's team, because there really weren't that many at the time there still really aren't that many now just based on the friendships that we made just through traveling and going to all these different races and these different series. My mom gathered, it wasn't even her idea originally, but they kind of just forced it onto her. These sponsors were like, Oh, if you'll, if you will, they knew she was capable of it because they knew her personally already. And they just said, Oh, if you'll, if you'll manage it, we'll sponsor you and we can make a, a fun little team. So my mom said, okay, great. And we started out with four or five girls. So that was our first year at the time we were Stradali, Papa John's. We, we knew John Schnatter, Schnatter, the owner of Papa John's, through a personal connection. He has a house in Naples that's near my parents' house. And uh, he would sometimes ride with us. So he was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll sponsor you guys. And so we ended up like having this hodgepodge of sponsors. We got a bike sponsor through Stradali. He, it was kind of his idea. He just was like, oh, I'll give you bikes. No problem. You guys can make a team. And they were kind of excited to be involved in the formation of a, of a new women's team. Then we started racing the Florida races and we went to Intelligentsia. And I don't know if you know Debbie Milne. She, was, she kind of took me under her wing. She's an experienced racer. So she taught me about crit racing that I hadn't learned already just from my mom and traveling. And it kind of grew from there. And we started getting noticed by more sponsors. And my mom, I don't know if you've noticed, but she's, she can sell snow to Eskimos. She's a really good salesperson. She has a lot of personal connections, being who she is and being in the cycling scene for over 10 years before I had gotten into it. So she had made a lot of connections and they got a whiff that, oh, Tish is making a, a women's team. More and more sponsors started com- sponsors started uh, coming on board every year, and hardly any left. So we ended up just growing and growing, and we were able to expand our budget. We were able to provide for more women. We j- ended up doubling 
the size of our team and quadrupling the number of sponsors we have. And now we have a well-funded, um, well-sponsored and well-equipped team with some awesome, awesome group of girls on it. And it's just been such a great experience to have that camaraderie with all these different people that I would have otherwise never met. It is definitely a diverse group. You have women at different phases of their lives. You've got, you know, you as one of the younger members of the team, you have Kim, she has grown kids who are in college and and you've got multiple mothers, multiple foreign born bike racers. How do you all come together to gel for something so involved as racing a team criterium race? I think one of the most important things about gelling as a team is having plenty as many opportunities as you can to train together and also racing together for multiple years in a row because it doesn't matter how experienced you are as a racer if you've raced with somebody else before on another team versus you've never raced with somebody else and everybody's really experienced, you're probably going to end up racing better with the other person that you already have experience with because you kind of already know each other's racing style and just based on that past experience, you know. And so I think it's really important that, especially when you have such a diverse group like our team, to stay together. Part of the success of our team has been not only the, the combined experience of the women on our team, but also they're just good people and they're willing to teach you from their experience as well as keep an open mind about learning something new. They're really funny and pleasant and mature and able to get their point across when they're trying to critique you, you know, in a respectful manner. And everybody just, despite your experience level, I think it's really important for a team to also gel on an emotional level as well and be able to make emotional connections with each other so that you care about each other. And it's not, you're not just a team. You're, we become almost like sisters where we take care of each other out there on the, on the race course. Cause it is kind of a, a an inherently dangerous sport and there's a lot of adrenaline involved and, and anxiety. And it's really cool to know that you've got somebody that you can count on out there, if not eight of them. <laughs> One of the things that I really genuinely like about the lineage of this race organization is kind of this unity of design. So one thing that you notice about CWA now, as you noticed about when it was Papa John's before, is these Safeti kits. They are unique. They are sharply designed. They they really stand out, including the the also fashionable trademark flamingo that's on the kit. What's that relationship like for you and Safeti? So Safeti has been with us since day one. I just want to give Lena Sierra a shout out. She has been amazing. She's been our uh, supplier of all the gear that we could ever want for all the girls she is just amazing. She's fully supplied us with kits, skin suits, down to the arm warmers and the neck warmers for the past five years. And she has a really great design team behind her. The first year when we were at Stradale Papa John's, it was mostly black and white kit. 
in SkinSuit. They pretty much designed all of that. And my mom is in charge of helping them with the, the logo placements and the sponsor placements and stuff like that. When Papa John's took over as the title sponsor for the next two years, I kind of worked with Lena and she has a design team that she sends ideas off to and they'll send something back to her. And then she would run it by Tish and myself. And then I would tweak it and, you know, oh, I think we should put more red here or something like that. It's been a joint effort the whole, you know, for the all five years of the existence of this team so far. But with the blue kits that we've had this past season and this season, I took more liberties on it <laughs> as my confidence in designing kits grew as I worked with their, uh, with Lena and her team. And so I pretty much designed the, our current blue kits from scratch with help from their design team, as well as logo placements, you know, with, with my mom and their design team as well. And just kind of, I basically just thought, okay, I want us to stand out. We're changing our color. We, these are the colors that I have to work with. I just want to try to create something that will look cool and look different. And then I just drew it with some colored pencils. I sent it to Lena. It wasn't, it wasn't professional by any means. I didn't have, you know, Photoshop or anything like that, but she loved it. She sent it to the design team. They digitized it, sent it back to me and it was, it looked great. And you know, it was, it was cool because I got to be way more involved in the design of, of the kit each time it changed throughout the existence of the team. So this last kit, I was way more involved in designing. And with the help of Lena and her design team, uh, it came out pretty well, I think. Safeti does not just cycling apparel. It's uh, casual clothing. It's swimsuits. You, When your team shows up to a race series, you're wearing matching sundresses. And all of these things are for sale on Safeti's website. But the rumor is, is that they've actually tapped you periodically to help give them some advice or recommendations on the casual wear. Is that true? Yeah, that's, that's a little, that's, I, w- I wouldn't deny that. Um, I'm definitely not like by any means a professional designer on their team, but I have the privilege of being able to send Lena some ideas if I ever have any. And, you know, if I think, oh, you know, I just thought of a, a cute new dress design. I wonder if Lena will like this. So I'll just sketch it real fast and send it, send it to her. I'll just text it to her and be like, hey, do you think this is cute? And she'll, be, she'll either be like, oh, yeah. Or she'll be like, yeah. She's always really <laughs> positive and excited. And, and some of those designs ended up selling out on their website. So that's, it's a pretty good feeling to be able to be involved in, in that process. And, and they've got such a great design team. And I think their company is, is pretty much exploding into the running scene and, and the swimming scene right now too. So they've taken some of my ideas and the fact that they've taken some of my ideas and actually made them into a reality is pretty cool. One of the things that you've become incredibly good at doing over the course of the last couple of years has been managing your social media presence. You have something like 12,000 plus Instagram followers. You have this incredibly positive image in social media where if you follow what you're doing, smiles and happy thoughts and, and real good things as opposed to what a lot of us experience on Twitter, for example. 
Is there something about social media that you particularly like, or is it just you know you have to do it and therefore you do it? From day one, one of the top priorities of our team has been a social media presence. Arguably, it's more important than winning any one race because, yeah, it's really cool to win a race. You win some money and you get to plug your sponsors, you know, when you're on that top step or sidestep or whatever. And when you're at the race, but once everyone goes home, everyone kind of forgets about it, especially when it's the next race, you know, besides you having your result recorded in USAC and, and, you know, you have some memorable pictures and everything. That's great, but sponsors don't really get a lot of exposure just from that. Teams are have to evolve with the times now, right? And I think cycling is an untapped sport when it comes to expanding its presence into social media. And I've, I've started to see this happening now more and more with teams taking it upon themselves, especially with this quarantine going on, because there are no races anymore. That's literally the only thing we can do is post on social media Now I think it's kind of become like a friendly competition, which I think the sport needs. (laughs) Do you feel pressure to come up with content on a daily, weekly, whatever cycle? When it's full-blown race season, you get, there's so many awesome race photographers there. Plus, you know, Tish uses her ginormous lens sometimes to take pictures as well. So we get a lot of content from those races. When you're in quarantine riding the trainer, you have to get a little more creative. So yeah, the pressure's on to create content that people are going to want to see and people that people are going to like and something that will grab their attention and be like, oh, what's that? Oh, that's really colorful. Oh, that's really funny. You know, and I think things that look pretty and, and like a beautiful um, scene, you know, when you're out on your training ride and you see really beautiful like rolling hills or something and you think, oh, this would make a, a nice picture. It wasn't a part of my thought process before I started cycling to stop and take pictures. Like I wasn't the type of person that took a lot of selfies or anything like that. And, but my mom was, so she, she, my childhood is well documented (laughs) because of my mom. As I've come to realize the importance of a social media presence, um, not only for the exposure, exposure of our sponsors of the team to try to give them a return on their investment and show them that we are making an effort and we care, but also just to expose the sport to more people as a whole. Um, I think cycling has a lot to offer and I think it would be really interesting if people knew what they were looking at and if more people were exposed to it, there is the pressure of creating content. It should be a pressure that's shared by all of us because if we all made an effort to create high quality, interesting content. It only takes a few posts to go viral for people to start looking into cycling, especially with with how social media is evolving now and there's new platforms coming out like TikTok and Reddit's always been big. (laughs) I'm not really on Reddit though. (laughs) That would be stretching myself a little too thin. I think it's important to recognize what platforms could be useful in elevating the sport because we all do this because we love cycling. And one of the best things we can do for cycling is make an effort to create content that will expose more people, more viewers, and more sponsors to the sport, which will end up being beneficial for everyone involved. Well, Madison, thank you 
absolutely so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on this episode of No Trading Wheels. We are a proud member of the Wynigle Podium Network of Shows, the world's only collection of top-tier independent cycling content. For more information and links to the other incredible shows on the network, go to WideAnglePodium.com. This show was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. For more content, follow us on Twitter at NTWheelsPod or on Instagram at NoTrainingWheelsPod. And your home for the best in American road racing is NoTrainingWheelsPod.com. Until next time, see you out of MacArthur Boulevard.